Hi, I'm Julie Wilkinson and I'm a Chartered Management Accountant and I'm excited to be launching the Build and Exit podcast. This podcast is for business owners and entrepreneurs who are looking to expand their business portfolio by acquisition or at some point in the future want to exit their business. We're going to bring real life stories and experiences of people who have grown by acquisition, who have exited their businesses and other areas of business such as funding and cash flows. So there'll be lots of opportunity to learn different areas of business and how you can, in the end, transition your business from a lifestyle to an asset. So look forward to seeing you soon. Hi, and welcome to the Build and Exit podcast. I'm Julie Wilkerson, and I'm the owner and founder of Wilkerson Accounting Solutions. I'm really excited to be here with Kush Birdie, who is the owner and founder of Birdie & Co Solicitors. And we're going to be talking all about M&A today. We're going to look at... um, different parts of the process because uh, we both specialize in mergers and acquisitions and I have a lot of conversations with people buyers and sellers about how to prepare for exit but also key things to think about when buying businesses um, so Kush is a really experienced M&A advisor uh, working on sort of one to ten million deals his his solicitor firm sort of does his sweet spots around one to three million um and probably worked on 50 to 100 deals over his um, time in m&a uh, so there's gonna be lots of expertise in the room today so <laughs> kush first of all i'd like to hand over to you um Thanks very much. tell a little bit about yourself and why you chose to come on the podcast mm-hmm. So yeah, thanks Julie for the introduction there. Um, so I think that, yeah, so as, as Julie said, I'm the managing partner and co-founder of Birdie & Co. Um, our core area is, is M&A. Um, and the reason why we wanted to do this podcast today is just to really, really um, give practical insights and share our experience in terms of what we see on M&A deals. Um, you know, whether it's on the sell side or the buy side with, with the combined experience on the sort of the financial and accounting side and the legal side, we're both obviously collectively well-placed um, to share the, the trials and tribulations and the successes, of course, of the M&A deals we work on. So it'd be really good to, to use our combined um, um, experiences in the way. So I hope that everybody can receive really, really valuable um, information and, and, and in order to help them use maximize their strategy of whether it's acquiring or if you're looking to sell down the line um, then hopefully this podcast will be really helpful for you today so in terms of like the post-acquisition integration integration that kind of thing do you want to talk about sort of the importance of that and what that involves yeah so i had uh, there was a guy that came on my podcast adrian no he talked about post-integration he actually had to stop acquisitions for a whole 12 months to integrate back office there is a lot to do in integration. Now, I'm not so we don't deal with all post-integration. Our area of specialism is the financial and the corporate governance, although that does touch on, I think, quite a lot of areas. I think the key integrations are IT and systems. Now, we can help with the financial side of that. So we can help with accounting systems and things like that. But obviously, there could be other systems like CRMs, mm. product systems, and that's not our forte, you know. So you need to make sure you've got specialisms in those areas. Um, think Where we would help, for instance, is if there was a sales system that needed to link to the accounting system, we would check the integrity of that feed. So we would be like, is there a reconciliation in place to make sure the numbers are right? But ultimately, the workings of the sales system, you'd need someone that knew the sales system. And stock systems, for instance, who's putting the stock on? The amount of people that have got stock systems, no one actually puts the stock on. (laughs) Like, it's incredible. So there's a lot of integration. So 
how we would start, we typically start with a minimum of 12 weeks. It's normally a minimum of 12. It could go on for longer, depending on where the business is. Mm. And we would, it would be an extension of the, so I suppose in the due diligence, we'd be doing a five-year plan, a top level five-year plan with a 12-month detailed. And we would extend on that 12-month post-acquisition. So one of the things we'd be looking at is who are the decision makers if there aren't any, we need to get them because you need decision makers in the business to make decisions. And obviously, if the um, and hopefully the seller might have decision makers in the business when they sell it. But if not, the buyer would have to put it in. And what we'd start be looking at is feeding that as a bottom up budget. So start cascading that budgets into KPIs into teams, because ultimately, in the end, the business performs as well as its staff. But if you bring it, you need a HR person there to sort of oversee. I suppose, how well are the employees doing? How are they remunerated? But ultimately, they need to have the targets in the first place. And the targets, you know, need to come from some form of KPI. And KPIs are normally driven from financial targets. Mm -hmm. You know, not all of them are financial KPIs. But for example, stock turnaround, that's, well, that would be a fact. But I suppose a non-financial KPI could be number of customers retained yeah. but in the end that customer that retention in. will change the budgets because it might change the marketing spend because mm. obviously if you have a higher number of customers retained then it's you... a lower marketing budget for yeah, them. so that's where it all interlinks so that's why like a financial team's good because we can help them build the kpis and how that looks in a monetary form because um, you have to be able to report on them somehow and that's what we would do is we'd start with that but if they had a poor bookkeeping process, the next we'd also be saying like before we build, because everyone's just like, I want a management account. So I want a management account. I'm like, if you've got poor information, you can't have one. You can have a budget because obviously you can build the budget, but also, but obviously you've got to remember that budget's been bought, built off a foundation that's probably wrong in the first place. <laughs> so you've got to go back to basics. If it's wrong when you buy it, you've got to go back to basic, basics and fix the basic bookkeeping first. Mm-hmm. And this is why we're trying to so incentivize the seller to get these things in order. Because obviously the more the seller can do, the better the business runs at a basic level when the buyer buys it, the easier it is for the integration. Because, you know, obviously if the seller had good bookkeeping, management accounts and a seller pack and a 12 weekly cash flow, imagine how easy it is for the buyer. Yeah. And imagine how they'd be they'd be paying over the, you know, they'd be willing to pay, wouldn't they? Because there isn't anything they have to do. Yeah. And so, then they take a view on other things that maybe aren't so perfect. Yeah. Like, you know, certain legal issues that maybe aren't, aren't so material. Um, and it just, yeah, it goes, goes back to like maximizing value as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause do you, I mean, if someone came to you before they were going to sell to say, could you just do an audit of my legal? Absolutely. I presume that's the sort of thing you could, cause a bit like how we're doing the exit discovery. Yep. I'm presuming you could do the law, like legal discovery. Yeah, absolutely. And we would do an audit where we do a little, like a report effectively. Um, it's almost like a mini due diligence exercise, I suppose, yeah. not as, you know, detailed, detailed. Um, and then we would just flag issues um, in terms of, and, and, and actually allocate them in terms of importance as well. And uh, maybe like a risk level or something. Um, so, I mean, one of the main things that I just think of off the top of my head is things like creation of um, like assets. So, you know, website assets, for example, um, who logos, let's say. So who actually created the logo of your business? And if it was some external party, then do you actually own the copyright to your logo? Mm-hmm. And more often, you know, we frequently see where there's, there's no paperwork in place. Oh, they designed that 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And, you know, we're not in contact with them anymore or, or they still maintain our website. Well, sorry to say, but they probably own the copyright in your logo unless there's some kind of assignment, 
assignment to your company. So we would then flag and sort of, and, and say, your buyer is going to raise this as part of the due diligence exercise. Let's reach out to them now and get a written assignment in place. Okay, now your company owns the right intellectual property. So those kinds of things can be done in advance in an audit process. Um, I suppose sellers don't necessarily think to do that early on, although they, they ought to, or maybe they don't necessarily want to in case, I suppose maybe cost saving on the one hand, maybe to an extent, maybe they don't necessarily want to know <laughs> yet. Yeah. They're not ready to know yet, yeah. um, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I would highly recommend a, a legal audit and a, and a financial uh, or even commercial audit prior to, you know, well prior to, um, to sale. But that's why, I mean, I would recommend a seller to do more of like a corporate governance session because mm. the point of the corporate governance is the safeguard to look at the overall business, to look at where are the risks. Now, it's not saying they have to implement everything right away, but ultimately in the end, sellers sort of burying their head a little bit and not being open to the truth is what ends up causing the problems in the mm. acquisition stage because at the end of the day, you've just got to know the truth. You know, if the truth is, because you can probably fix it. Yeah. But ultimately... You know, it, you've only got, there'll be warranties. The buyer will pick it up. There'll be warranties in the SPA. And if anything then comes back, the seller's going to have to deal with it anyway. Yeah. And it's like, and you've got, and as a seller, you've got to decide what risk level, like the buyer's got to decide what risk level they're going to be mm. willing to take. I suppose the seller's got to decide what risk level they are. But what's, what's interesting is they don't know. Yeah. You know, if you know and you've chosen not to do it because you think, oh, it's a low risk high cost. I don't think it's worth it. And that's your choice as the seller and you can make that choice and have that, but you know, then be open, have it written, say the reason you haven't done it. It's transparency, isn't it? You're telling the buyer, it'll make the deal go quickly because yeah, the, the SWAT will be there. Everything will be there. Mm. You'll be telling the buyer, this is what I've done. This isn't what I've done. This is the reason I haven't done it. And the buyer will be like, oh, this is a good business. Yeah. You know, this is a good business to buy. This business is set up well. It's not always about everything being right and perfect. We all learn as we go along. Yeah. But it's more about the fact that when a seller just doesn't know anything about their business, apart from the seller's often goal is just customers and uh, and sales. They're not always thinking about the admin and the and the controls around the business, you know, and that goes for a lot of things, cyber, you know, IT, oh, yeah. HR, brand. Um, insurances, like all legals, yeah. um, and finance to a point because they're so busy all the time. They sometimes think, oh, I need to do this. Um, and then they just never get around to it. Yeah. And we have a lot of conversation with people where they have invested money in their accountants and they're, but they're telling us, I don't think I'm getting it because they've spent that money. They don't want to invest it again. And it's just like, I understand that. But at some point, you have to just accept if, if you're not getting what you think you need, you even if you have that open conversation with them and change it, mm. um, or you've just got to accept it's a sunk cost to move on. Yeah. Because going on for years, paying for something that you're not actually getting the benefit of in the end isn't worth it either because it just delays everything. So I understand why it's hard. It is hard when you're in a business, there's so much to do. Mm. Um, but that's why you need to be willing to invest in the right resource to help you. Because obviously everybody would do their part. You know, you would come in and do the legal audit. We could have a look at the financial and governance exit audit. HRs could probably do a HR audit. You know, you can bring in the right advisors to do the right things. And yeah, then you, you don't, you know, have to do. Like in our business, we're only like three, just over three and a half years old and we're fully trademarked. We're fully cyber protected. We've got a HR firm. We've got an online uh, holiday portal. We've got management accounts and KPIs. They're not all perfect, <laughs> but, you know, we've got them because we're implementing yeah. them because we're getting more staff as time goes along. Um, we've got key man personnel insurance for key employees in the business if they go. 
Um, and we've and we've invested in that. And like we're a small business, you know, cash is sometimes tight for us. But you have to, you can't always just go on the the money going out of the bank today. You have to see what's. Yeah. So I I did a cyber episode on my podcast, oh, okay. and there was actually an accountant example the cyber person gave. And um, basically, the the people came and um, her, basically harassed all of their clients. They basically took all, frauded all of their clients and pretended it was the accounting firm. Basically oh, wow. said, you've got to give me money. The accounting firms give me your details. They hadn't, obviously. Mm. This was a cybercrime. Um, there was a lot of examples on there where people That's lost millions. So scary. Millions you know, in, in, in cash because of cyber. Traditionally, you'd think, okay, let's say so solicitor's practice, target for, 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 for criminals. You know, we're going to get attacked. We're going to get held to ransom or whatever. Um, but then if, if to, to, to think that if all my clients got attacked saying that I had sort of released details, I think I'd be completely horrified. Yeah. And actually the clients may not actually have the protection in place that, that we would have, because knowing that we're a sort of a prime target, I suppose. Yeah, that's so scary. Yeah. yeah. And things that still go wrong, you know, we're, with ICO and we're always of looking course. at our systems and our security. And it's things like that, isn't it? It's like safeguarding not only you, but your customers and suppliers. Because, mm. um, you know, at any time you are probably, especially in these days, there is there is more risk of breaches these days. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of things. And I think that comes down to a plan, doesn't it? A bit of a corporate governance plan and just thinking of where are the risks in the business? Yeah. What have I got in place and what budgets might I need? And that's probably where we come in. Obviously, we don't resolve all of those things. You know, I'm, we're not an IT firm. We're not a HR firm. But what we can do for people is help look at their budgets and their cash flow and look at, okay, so when are you going to start bringing them in? Like, that's the point. That's that's why you've got to start planning longer term. Yeah. Um, you know, when when do you want to do it? Because you've got to have an actionable targets. And who's going to do it? Like, you know, maybe um, there's an administrator in that can manage, like, just save all the insurance document down and know when the insurance is going to renew and go to market and get a few quotes. Mm. That's how the owner gets help, isn't it? Yeah. They get help by bringing that resource in. Um, giving them their actionable targets and then those um, and then you know and then they just get the, the three quotes you know and make the decision like that sort of thing yeah and it's good to have that plan in place it's like okay we're not going to do this now but we're going to schedule this in for you know six months time or whatever it is and that's you know you sleep much better I suppose knowing that that's happening whereas alternatively it's in the back of your mind you know this needs to happen oh shoot I need to do this now oh, cash is tight now, okay, I won't do that, or I have to do it, and then I'm going to suffer a little bit. So, yeah, really, really good, really yeah. good good insights there. Um, and so, I mean, that's all, that can happen prior to sale. That can also happen post-acquisition yeah. as well, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do with the podcast and what I'm doing in the industry in general is trying to get more educated sellers. Because mm. I do just think if the seller could do it, everything would be a lot easier. I think they would get more money, I think they would sleep better because obviously what we're trying to do is help the seller transition their own business to be an asset rather than a lifestyle. And actually, sometimes seller doesn't even always need a full sale. You know, there are employee trusts or you know yeah. management buyouts and things yeah, like that. And, and, and ultimately, if you can get the business to run independently, um, not only might you not have to sell it all, because why would you want to sell something all or something that's making you money all the time? It's a bit of a retirement plan, isn't it? Mm. Um, although you might choose to. Um, it, I do think best practice is for the seller to try and get most of it in place. But I realise we're probably a long way off that because most sellers probably have two years worth of work to get it fully. And in the end, you've got to find the sellers, the, the businesses that are willing to invest to put that in. 
but ultimate deals are going to happen. So buyers, yeah. if they are buying these businesses where they're not in place, then the next best thing is that we help the, the, the buyer put safeguard it and put it in place. So essentially we would do the same thing with the bar as we would with the seller because it's the same. It doesn't change. The mm. business needs... Um, a level of um, safeguard and governance to make it run effectively. And it doesn't matter who the owner is, that should be in place to safeguard the whole company. Um, and we would ideally think it's best practice for the seller to do it. But if not, buyer comes in and does it. And that's where you've got to be able to negotiate those things on the deal, isn't it? Of course. Because um, some things are low in that, you know, it's high, maybe high risk, but low spend as well so they might just like take it on the chin and do it you don't have to discuss every five pounds you know that's not what i'm saying <laughs> but at the end of the but you do need to know um especially when you've got like men with a van that's signposted all over the vans <laughs> you know and and you don't own the trademark to the company um, yeah that could be a tough situation <laughs> yeah yeah and it happens so yeah because i i think a lot of businesses the one i re episode i actually released today with Matthew Cusack, he does uh, trademarks mm -hmm. and IP. And he said he was in a room with 20 people, asked them all who's got a brand they've built, all put their hands up, who loves their brand, you know, proud of it, all put their hands up, who's protected it. Only one person out of the 20 had the hand up. Oh, wow. That, so, that is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Because people are thinking because they've, you know, set up their, house, their their company on company's house that they're now, which I understand why they think that, because I do understand yeah, why a, you would logically think that. If you set it up on company's house, it's available, I can have it. Yeah. But like he uses as, as an example, you know, if you're in Colchester and you set yourself up as Adidas Colchester, you know, would Adidas let you do that? Or if they found out, you know, if you became relatively big, though, maybe it doesn't matter if you're small fry, but if you've got visions to be big, yeah. you know, it comes a time, you know, imagine, imagine if you've now got 15 employees and you're at 3 million and suddenly Adidas come knocking on your door and go, you can't use that brand, you infringement <laughs> on my brand. Yeah, I know. It's happened. I know a few people that's happened to. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have a, f um, a few clients that were effectively startups, but they've grown very quickly in a short space of time uh, we help them with their sort of ongoing legal stuff and uh i think that they're getting they need to do that uh, or are doing it or or have done it in certain respects so um it, it does vary but I, I suspect there's probably more people that haven't done it than than have it's done so it. cheap you can trademark yeah. your business for about 700 quid yeah and it's like he said you know you might spend twenty thousand on a van probably another four thousand to market it mm. you so you're not willing to spend a thousand pounds just to protect it and sometimes it's not even not being willing it's just not knowing not knowing or not thinking about it yeah. which is why you want to plan yeah because it's the plan that ultimately gives you the the thoughts to think ah oh, yeah i've got to go and do that Cause sometimes it's just busy lifestyles and you forget to do it Completely. Um, so yeah, yeah, so that's what, and that's kind of what we try to help with. And I, I suppose that's where our corporate governance side and commercial side comes out is we're a lot more than just the numbers. Like I do think, you know, building the model is one thing, but understanding it and actually using it, mm. you know, and your teams being able to use it is another thing, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just want to say thanks Kush, for coming on the podcast. It's been really great. But if anybody, you know, needs help with uh legals um where can they find you well you can find me in lots of places um social media so i'm quite um active on linkedin um so don't hesitate to dm me on on there or even instagram we are on tiktok we're trying to get a bit better at that um otherwise you can contact me by email on kush k-u-s-h at birdielaw.com um and always happy to sort of have a chat um no, no charges involved <laughs> for, for, for an initial chat so don't hesitate to reach out 
Thank you. And I just want to say thanks to all the listeners on the Build and Exit podcast. Um, we're nearly at 3,000 downloads now. Um, and we've just set up a new YouTube channel. So if you love the episodes, hit the subscribe button so more viewers can find our channel. See you soon. So once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you think there's anyone else in your network that might benefit from our podcast, then please share it with them. Either just click the link and send it to them or send it in a Facebook group or other social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe so other podcasts come to you directly as and when we launch them. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you next time. We've got some really exciting things coming up and we'll see you again soon. 